This program was produced with the support of StoryHive, creativity connected by TELUS. For more information, please visit storyhive.com. Welcome to episode two of Views from Chinatown. I am your host, Gabriel Yi. Today, we're sitting in with two incredible ladies who are the most active on the front lines of Calgary Chinatown. So Alice Lam is one of our hosts on Views from Chinatown. You'll be hearing from her on the next few episodes. She's known as the Connection Queen in Calgary and is very well known for her extensive volunteer work in a number of communities. She's also a board member of the I Love YYC Chinatown Society. That's essentially where her and I linked up and started working on a bunch of Chinatown initiatives together. Sue Ying Strang is the executive director of the New Gallery. We'll be hearing from her as well. Um, the New Gallery is an artist-run center right here in the heart of Chinatown. The gallery itself is right in Canton Block, uh, one of Calgary Chinatown's most historic buildings. So Alice and Sue will dig into what's been happening in Calgary Chinatown in recent days, as well as reflecting on some pivotal moments that happened just in the last few years. Here it is, episode two of Views from Chinatown. Hi, my name is Alice. I am the host of Views from Chinatown. Today I'm here with Sue Ying Strang, the executive director of the New Gallery here in Chinatown. Hi, Sue. Hi, Alice. So good to see you again. I'm so excited to get to talk to you today because I think you've just been such a strong advocate for Chinatown and your story and how you got here in Calgary's Chinatown especially is so interesting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you ended up here because, yeah, you're not a Canadian citizen. Yeah, goodness. Well, I first moved up to Calgary Mokinstis in 2006 to go to the Alberta College of Art and Design, now the Alberta University of the Arts. And for me, I was just, I was really excited to come to Canada and pursue my, my dream of working in the arts, being an artist. That's how I, I got here. I actually didn't know anything about Alberta, didn't know anything about Calgary or Treaty 7. I was really, really, uh, just dove right in and, and didn't know what to expect at all. And really one of the things, moving thousands of miles away, a couple thousand miles away from home, still the same continent, that drew me, uh, that kept me here, that made me feel like home was when I first came into Calgary Chinatown. My mom is a Chinese American. She's a first gen immigrant coming by way of Malaysia. Um, she immigrated to the States in the 80s after uh, her and my dad got married in Sungai Patani. They moved into my, my paternal grandparents' basement in Pekin, Illinois, a town with a very interesting and uh, I would suggest racist history. They named it after Peking, China, because oh. the governor thought it was directly across the world uh, from now Beijing, uh, China. Very uh, odd, odd naming. But anyways, so they landed there, and we, we really grew up all over the states before uh, I decided to come up here by myself. Calgary Chinatown was a place that I visited as a student, really just trying to find some of the ingredients that my mom would use, cooking at home, mm. going to some of the grocery stores. 
And actually one of my first experiences, one of my first times coming down here was just a couple uh, doors down from where we are now. So we're in 208B of the Canton Block, the historic Canton Block. Uh, well, you'll tell us probably the really <laughs> fulsome history of, of this building being built in 1910 as a, the kind of cornerstone in that first building in the third iteration of Calgary Chinatown. But a couple doors down was this really incredible barbecue restaurant mm. that I would always get takeout from, uh, Gigong, I believe it was called. And um, so I was walking around, I was going through the mural alley that's just behind us, and they were butchering the pigs out back, and it was just like such a strange but familiar sight, you know, <laughs> to see a giant barbecue pig butchered. It was something I had seen going to barbecue restaurants growing up, um, but I'd never lived in a Chinatown. I'd never uh, lived near a Chinatown, mm. near enough that I would be able to frequent or visit a space the same kind of way that, you know, um, Calgary Chinatown was just a quick train ride yeah. away from the school and where I was living. That was really exciting and I found myself spending quite a lot of time here. I had some teachers that asked us to go to Hingwa to pick up brushes like that. Oh. They're like, this is the place you're going to get the brush that's the best brush to do this kind of fabric dyeing. And so get your hockey brush from Hingwa. And so I had certain professors that would send me down here for on specific errands for, for art school. Um, but I also just came down for the food to feel some semblance of home or connection. Um, and that was really my first introduction to Calgary Chinatown. Um, later, I would find myself here much more frequently working for the new gallery. <laughs> That's such an interesting story and what you say about how Chinatown really embodies the feeling of home for so many of us, especially first or second generation Canadians. Like when I lived in France or New York for school and work, it was like I always gravitated towards Chinatowns because it just felt like I was there with my people. I was there with people who understood where I came from, they liked eating the same things as me, and this Chinatown was actually the location of where my dad got his first job and where my parents had their first apartment, right? And so I think for a lot of Calgarians growing up here, it holds a special place in their heart, and that's why it's so cool to be doing this podcast because we get to share these stories that a lot of people don't often get to hear. So Chinatown has kind of been a hallmark for a lot of Chinese Calgarians, including for myself. And I think that a lot of these stories that we hear from people like Sue and Alice, they really remind us uh, how rooted our culture really is in a place like Chinatown and why it's so important. In 2016, Calgary's Chinatown faced a number of changes uh, regarding new developments, parking, and this notion of gentrification. Uh, Sue and Alice were both pivotal in those moments in their work in leading the community and having their voices heard. We've um, obviously worked together doing the translated gallery tours for the Chinese seniors in the community. And this was a project that you brought up because you thought it was so important to have a tie-in with the residents and the community and the elders to really help introduce them to contemporary art, to the work that you guys do in this space. And one of the biggest surprises, you know, whenever I'm translating, I'm like, this place has been around since 2013. And they're like, what? Like, isn't it brand new? You know, because they're always looking through the window and they're, they're like, oh, it's under construction. But I think that project just really helped me understand like how important it was for the new gallery to not only just be like a rent paying tenant in Chinatown but to be really infiltrated into the lo into the local community and I'll never forget something that you told me when we first met which was like we do not want to be an organization that gentrifies the community like we want to grow together and we want to excel together and be collaborative and inclusive and I think that that's 
so great because you travel around the world and there's, you know, Chinatowns are disappearing one by one because of gentrification, like Toronto, New York, London, Sydney, like it's all the same story because traditionally it's located in super awesome real estate. It's usually home to a lot of density. And so to hear an organization be really thoughtful about it, like the new gallery is and through your leadership, it's been so refreshing. And you guys took a pretty active role during 2016. That's when we first met. Um, due to the proposed development of an empty parking lot site. What made you want to get involved at that time? Oh, yeah, so many, so many good points in there. Um, I'll, I'll start with that, but I'd love to go <laughs> back to some of these ideas about the, the tours and engagement in the community. Actually, I think it all really ties together when mm -hmm. I think about it. When we first invited you to start being an interpreter for those tours and we started working with you on that for some of the um, community and especially senior-centered centers in the, in the community, like the Calgary Chinese Elderly Citizens Association, Clover Living, mm. the Calgary Chinese Community Service Association, for us it was important that if we were taking up space in this community, that the space was accessible by the community, that the community felt welcome in the space, um, that there are programs specifically serving this community. I think it's really important to be able to be responsive, responsible um, and relevant to, to your local community. And, you know, I think uh, we have a range of experience with the folks that come in. Some of the folks uh, that have been on our tours are artists themselves. Mm -hmm. Some have an interest in contemporary art. Some have never engaged in contemporary art. And it's nice to have that range of experience, range of interest. Um, and for me, every time we have one of those tours, I learn something new about the exhibition from the, the audience members, the seniors themselves. And that's one of the exciting things I think about those programs is it's an opportunity for us to share with our community, but also for our community to teach us and for us Absolutely. to learn about our community. So that exchange has always been really important, but, but that idea of a space for all, but a space that recognizes its neighborhood, recognizes the community it's, it's within and, and connects and works with that community was core to the work that we've been trying to do. I'm really grateful that our, our programming committee, our board of directors has been really open to, mm -hmm. to us uh, prioritizing and consistently expanding our resources to do that work. We created an outreach coordinator position. We created a community liaison position. Um, We've brought in interpreters and translators. We translate all of our exhibition text. Uh, Henry Heng Liu's been doing that since 2016 for us as well. Um, and, and just allowed us to thoughtfully think and respond as we hear more. When we'd renovated, we heard folks wanted a seat that was visible, so we put in a bench at the front. <laughs> um, we, uh, we heard that, uh, you know, we know that some folks in the community might uh, have walkers or uh, mobility issues, so we made a barrier-free washroom. Um, those things were really, really important to us. Um, to go back to this idea of 2016 and the conversations that we're having with the development happening in the parking lot, I think these ideas tie in because we became a part of this community and this was a project that would significantly impact the community um, in a way that possibly would change the future of the community forever. And we heard, we heard our neighbors, we heard our friends, our partner organizations, very concerned. And although we had been in the neighborhood for only about three years, that 
and didn't have the kind of context of the history and legacy of this happening in the community at that time. It was really, really important that we heard when the community members voiced their concern and that we were able to amplify those concerns mm -hmm. and stand with the community when that happened. So those were the reasons really that we, that we got involved, we held sign making workshops, yeah. we marched to city hall alongside with the rest of the community because we really felt then and now that we're a part of this community. And when support is needed, you show up for your community. Our mandate is to support socially relevant and politically informed art practices here at the New Gallery. And quite frankly, I think that that's, uh, that work is an extension of our work. Engaging with the community, supporting the community is an extension of that mandate. Um, and I, I'm happy we were able to support it. I'm happy that the, the, that the appeal went through and, and that um, we're able to take some time and be, mm -hmm. have the community come together to consult with the city of Calgary and, and, and take the time to be thoughtful, envisioning what Calgary Chinatown will look like in 10, 20, 30, 100 years. Yeah, I think that it was so emotional for me in 2016 because obviously having grown up in the neighborhood, gone to school, like Chinese school, parents, like, you know, we came here every weekend for food and stuff. I was really taking for granted the, who, you know, the pioneers of the community who built it. Like, I just thought that it was something that existed and would last forever because it's always been there throughout my whole life. And when I started hearing the stories about the struggles that the community had to fight throughout the past century, you know, this development that in 2016 wasn't the first threat to the existence of Chinatown. There was the east-west penetrator, like a giant freeway that was going to come through and level Chinatown. Um, there was a 40-story, 50-story building that wanted to be built, like right smack beside a residential building. And this was before 2016, you know? And that's how we got important assets like Seenlock Park, like the first-generation Chinese that wanted to preserve the Chinese community for their parents, for their grandparents, you know, really appealed the East-West Penetrator and that's how the city decided to say, okay, we must preserve this as a historical neighborhood. We must respect its history and contributions to Calgary. So here is a park. Here's a giant green space for you guys to enjoy where we will never develop on it um, to show our commitment to hearing you and listening to you. And then it was like fast forward 20 years, another development came in and another density um, suggestion was made. And again, it was like those same conversations over and over again. And in 2016, when we were at a public hearing, like it was sad for me because, you know, seeing these elders standing at the public hearing and once again fighting for their right to be here, fighting for their voices to be heard, marching like 80, 90 year olds, marching and carrying signs and like the city's still not listening. I was like, man, the disrespect on that, you know, it was just like, I was like, something has to change. And that's when I Love YYC Chinatown and the New Gallery decided to really start collaborating and working on the education aspect, you know, change management comes with education and with, and it's not a quick, easy, like, oh, I saw a post on it. Now I'm radicalized or now I know, you know, it's like, you have to build it into everything that you do and into your programming, into your governance, like with your board. I remember taking your board on a tour so that they understand like why it is so important that you guys maintain doing the work you do in the community because people come and go all the time, but the culture and the values of an organization have to be solid. When you brought up that idea of, you know, um, board governance and our, our board doing a tour with you, that's been so key because, you know, we are a charitable organization, staff come and go, board members come and go, as you said, um, but 
relationships are not held by organizations, they're held by people. And I think for there to be success in the continual uh, collaboration and community building in Calgary Chinatown as a whole, for there to be success with the new gallery working in and with Calgary Chinatown, we have to make sure that we're stewarding and sharing those relationships at mm -hmm. all levels of the organization. So that's now permanent onboarding. For yeah. as long as the new gallery is in Calgary Chinatown, board members <laughs> have to understand the history of the site, the land that we're on, Calgary Chinatown, of Treaty 7, of the peoples of Treaty 7 as well. And, and, and this is all integral context. How can we do our work without understanding that foundational exactly. knowledge? And for, for our staff, for our board to be aware of that will help us make decisions of what work we can do might be more relevant in the future, but also having conversations with those folks who continue to be involved with us, as well as new folks. If you take a walk along the Bow River pathway past Calgary's Chinatown, you most likely will pass uh, one of Calgary Chinatown's most culturally significant parks, and that's Sinlock Park. So Sinlock Park was developed in 1982 between the Sinlock Society as well as the city of Calgary. Uh, the park serves broad community, a lot of seniors in the area, as well as people who just inhabit kind of the immediate area, um, going towards East Village or going towards the Peace Bridge. There's a sculpture in the middle of Sinlock Park. It's called In Search of Gold Mountain. It's kind of right in the middle of the park. And it was sculpted by an artist, Cho Hun Sun, and it was sculpted in honor of Chinese history of Canada. So Alice and Sue are going to kind of dig into that a little bit. You brought up Sinlock Park, um, and there's the In Search of Gold Mountain statue mm -hmm. there by Hon Sun Chu. I met them two, oh. two weeks ago, a week ago. Incredible. Um, my friend and colleague Catherine introduced us, and we had a nice Zoom meeting, and he just actually emailed me a bunch of maquettes of that sculpture that are incredible. And I walk by that sculpture all the time, and I've been working in this community for how many years now? 2013 <laughs> yeah. to 2021. Uh, like, and I, I never really knew that that artist was based in Alberta. They're based in Cochrane. They're so close. Oh. They have a great studio. Apparently, all, they have a bunch of sculptures on the land. Obviously, I couldn't visit in person, but um, I can't wait to. It was so incredible to learn uh, about some of the histories of that particular work, some of the influences that you don't get just with that surface level interaction with the work that I don't even necessarily get reading about the work on its mm -hmm. web page that it, that it has on the city's website. And um, that was exciting to me that, you know, after all these years, I'm still learning something new about something I've seen every day or almost every day yeah. for many, many years. And it, it just goes to show that relationship building, being a part of a community is not work that has a an end date. No. It is ongoing, it is forever, and it's work that you have to commit to. If you wanna be a part of a community, you have to show up for that community, you have to be engaged in, with that community. So as you've heard, Chinatown is changing. We're seeing it in the community itself, in the businesses that uh, exist there, as well as the people that live in Chinatown today. So with change, obviously, there's, there's friction, and friction usually comes from um, new ideas or new concepts or, or usually I feel like a lot of times come from just trying to understand something that is very different than 
you know, what we've been taught or what we've known. So Alice and Sue kind of talk about how as a community, Chinatown had a responsibility and has a responsibility and a duty in many ways to play in broader issues, things like Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ+, and Indigenous issues. And in 2020, we saw some of those issues kind of come to light in Chinatown. And Sue and the new gallery were kind of on the forefront of leading that conversation. So let's hear what they have to say. So earlier we were grabbing coffee um, at Muse Cafe downstairs where they have like the best buns. And I loved how it was um, Peter and his sister, Dorothy, and his mom just like, you know, retired from oil and gas and decided to start this cafe downstairs where it revitalized this former bakery in Chinatown. I don't know if you ever saw it, Jing Jing. Like it was this bakery that you walked by and you could smell the smells and you'd look into the window downstairs and you would see like the fresh buns and it was yeah. like a bustling place. Like we would go there and get buns before Chinese school and all of that. And it was shut down. It was vacant for a long time. And then, you know, a few years ago, all of a sudden this new coffee shop sprung up in Chinatown. It was like amazing. You know, I think it was for a long time, people kind of just assumed that nothing new was happening in the community. Um, or they assume that Chinatown's like empty or dead just because they associate number of people out on the street with actual um, life in the buildings. And I think one of the most important things that we see on the tours is that behind every building, like being a winter city, a lot of the programming happens behind closed doors on second, third levels like they would in Hong Kong or Japan, you know, where it's like the whole building is utilized. So whenever we took like your board members on tours, everyone's always like shocked to see like, oh, there's a whole association here where seniors are like playing mahjong, singing karaoke, reading newspaper, doing fundraisers, doing whatever, like there's a whole life behind these doors. and. It's been so fun to show that to people because it totally changes their perception of Chinatown being just like a place with restaurants. It's actually one of the most age-friendly communities in Calgary where we have a large amount of affordable housing. There's one building where their average age has, like you have to be minimum 80 years old to even live in there. And then we also have supportive living, like language appropriate, affordable housing. And so, I always say like Chinatown should get better at bragging about how like amazing this community has been planned because it didn't just happen. Like it took volunteers like me and you to say, you know, what is important for our community and for our elders is affordable housing. And so let's lobby the government, let's secure land, let's build these buildings and make sure that um, it's subsidized housing so that people can afford to stay in the community, go access services, medical services, shopping or whatever it is, and still live a sustainable life. And I think it's really worked. Like it's a vibrant and fun community that people are aging super well in. And one thing that um, Peter was saying about Chinatown was he's like, you know, Chinatown is changing. And I could tell that he really wanted to have like a further conversation about it, but obviously we don't have time. But I wanted to really hear from you, Sue, like, what do you see in Chinatown? Like, even in the past few years, there's been more businesses opening up, younger generation of businesses, um, new galleries role, you know, especially in the past year with like BLM movements and things like that, and a greater lens on anti-Asian racism that's occurring all over the world. Like, you guys have taken a more proactive and more vocal role. And so where do you see the new gallery fitting in in the future? Yeah, that's a that's a great question and a lot of really incredible context and 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 insight to the different folks involved and things that have been happening. Goodness, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's, I truly, where else can you go in a downtown, like inner, like the, this city uh, and find independent grocery stores and pharmacies and hair salons all within one block of one another. Mm -hmm. Find, yeah, community, not just one community center, several community centers. Um, that's been always really, really of interest and exciting to me that these small businesses have also been able to thrive. Um, I think quite symbiotically with the, with the community centers and the residential spaces, they've really worked in tandem with one another and grown with one another. There, yeah, there is a lot of change. Uh, I absolutely have seen tons of new businesses that have popped up um, by that younger generation. I've chatted with some folks and a lot of times these folks have grown up in the restaurant industry. Their families have run restaurants um, either in Chinatowns or elsewhere and they've been interested in doing that in part but also doing something that represents their interest. Um, also the hybridity of their mm -hmm. identities, you know, a lot of second, third gen folks have a different experience than their parents or their grandparents and want to share that through the work that they do, through the businesses that they make. And so we see a lot of things that are uh, bringing in um, fusions of, mm -hmm. of cultures to, to kind of reflect that hybridity of, uh, of folks' identities. Things like Sweet Tooth for sure, uh, Uzutayaki, and Fatty Burgers. Yeah. Uh, those are both Tommy's. Um, yeah, I, even Paper Lantern. Mm -hmm. Like all, all of these places are, you know, young folks who are like, yes, I want to continue making businesses in our community, but I want to do it with something that like speaks to me, that has that kind of relevancy that reflects who I am as an individual, not only with this cultural background um, from uh, the Asian diaspora, but also from my context as a Canadian, um, from someone who grew up here. And, and that's been really exciting to see as someone who's mixed race, I often feel like I also have, a, yeah, I, I, I guess I had a lot of anxiety being mm. in a place uh, like Calgary Chinatown, realizing it was really the first place where I was surrounded predominantly by other people of color. Yeah. It was a, kind of a first for me in my life. I grew up in a fairly racially homogenous uh, suburbs of the Southern states and, um, you know, was usually one of very few POCs in, in my communities. And being in Calgary Chinatown was, I, I didn't really realize it at first. It took me a couple of years to kind of understand the, the, the difference. And when I, I was, I first had anxiety I, I think because I, I don't speak the language, I don't speak Mandarin, Cantonese, Toyonese, any of the dialects. And also I don't have familial roots here. I am a newcomer. Not having that connection or in to be mm. able to connect with community was really, really challenging. But it was folks like you who uh, really opened up the doors and made me feel less, I think, um, concerned that I didn't have some of the language skills, that I didn't have the family history, that I could still be a part of this community, that I could still engage and connect with the community. This is a really roundabout way to answer your, your question regarding this idea of anti-racism work in the community. Mm -hmm. I think that communities of color have a responsibility to support other, other communities Absolutely. of color. It's yeah. so integral. The Black Lives Matter movement, we have to recognize our privilege. We have to recognize the myth of the model minority. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize racism within our own communities and support others 
so that we can all thrive and do better. There's an opportunity for us to collaborate and welcome folks in. And one of the artists we're working with, Annie Wong, for the Calgary Chinatown Artist Residency project that we're doing right now, uh, she talks a lot about um, this idea of cultural safety that she mm -hmm. discussed with the artist Jay Sterling, who did the guide and protector yeah. mural on uh, on the old uh, Friendship Center site, yeah. um, just on Second Ave. And, and quotes in this publication she was working on in the interview she had with Jay, this idea of how he felt at home and safe in Calgary Chinatown. I think that that's a feeling we need to strive for, mm -hmm. for all community members to feel welcome here. We, I think, um, Chinese Canadians, Chinese Calgarians are lucky to have a place like Calgary Chinatown, um, a place to come be with, you know, families, friends, visit, uh, you know, the cultural center, um, have a place for their elders to connect and have fun at the El Elderly Citizens Association. We're lucky to have that. And I think that it's important that we, we share and celebrate it. For the new gallery, I really feel our role is to be able to talk about some of these key issues through the arts. Um, talk about some of these things that can be quite divisive, but bring people together in dialogue through our arts programming. And I think that that's what the mural does as well. Like we didn't program that mural, that was done by Pink Flamingo, but that mural had folks talking about Black Lives Matter in Calgary Chinatown. It had folks talking about anti-blackness in Chinese mm -hmm. communities and what we need to do to address that what we need to do to challenge that because it's all, all of that is just in support of white supremacy. If we don't, if we don't, if we don't challenge those notions, um, we're just feeding into that, that cycle, into that structure. For our mandate working with the arts, I'm just really excited about how the arts are, are a way that folks can connect about these issues because they can be challenging to talk mm -hmm. about, especially, you know, we, we have often a culture where it's sometimes, um, difficult to bring different or new ideas to our elders. There's, you know, that kind of cultural generational difference. And to do that respectfully, I think there's a lot of room for that, but um, we have to start having these conversations. Absolutely. There's a lot of conversation around Chinatown today about mentorship, leadership, and the movement in kind of reclaiming our, our space in Chinatown and finding our identity again in the culture that is significant to us. And so Alice and Sue kind of talk about, you know, what does this next change look like? Who are the people that are going to be leading that that change? And in the midst of all of this change is this rise in anti-Asian sentiment that we've seen during the pandemic. And Alice and Sue will talk about that and kind of reflect on their own opinions and their own feelings uh, about those things. I think it's just like everything that you say just hits the nail on the head, especially with regards to the peer mentorship part. Like when you think about two people coming from, com two groups of people coming from completely different backgrounds, some somebody has to give and it there's this power struggle in our society of who's the decision makers in the room who sits at the table who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong and i think that being able to unpack that and have people come together and be like this is a safe space like you said you know cultural safety um young people are able just as easily adequate to suggest things to make projects better or to make the cities better just as equally as 
elders and it doesn't matter that they haven't been involved for the long time. You know, everybody has diversity of thought and that's what makes our community stronger. And I think that this translates, if we're building it up at like the individual level, like at the new gallery, and it's kind of a standard that you're setting, it will slowly start to trickle into the community because a lot of like, even the associations, like they've just never really been asked to get involved, you know, other than, you know, maybe Chinese New Year, it's like, oh, come do a performance or, um, oh, we're having a street festival, put up a table or whatever it is. They've never been asked to kind of be in the room to help to provide insight and history and opinions on what should happen to this community, you know, yeah. or what direction should we lead it in? And that's why there has been a lot of resistance. It's like, you've never asked me for my opinion and then you go do something like, of course I'm gonna fight back. Of course I'm gonna have my back up against the wall. And so something that the city is doing recently, which I think has really started the work towards repairing some of these relationships and guiding people into feeling that safety to share their opinion, even if it's not the majority opinion through the Tomorrow Chinatown project. Um, I think that after 2016, there was just a lot of conflict. Many people were hurt, many people are sad and neither parties, there was no good outcome. Like the city didn't get what they wanted. The developer didn't get what they wanted. Chinatown certainly didn't really get what they wanted. Um, no development isn't what we wanted either, right? Like we want this community to thrive. We want more, um, homes we want more customers in the neighborhood and so what the city's done with the tomorrow's chinatown project is really started to like take it a step back and like how do we repair some of these relationships and how do we instill trust again um in the community i can see from the associations like they like being involved and they mm -hmm. like sharing their opinion they love being on the tours they are so proud to show off all the hundreds of photos around these associations um marking you know all the contributions that they've made to the community and I really just want to thank you, Sue, for your leadership and for how loyal you are to the cause, I guess. Like you really want to see it happen, not for yourself, not for um, the selfish gains of the new gallery, but really because you actually care about this community. Like you want it to survive and you want it to be preserved and developed in a way that the community who built it wants to see it built. And I think that's really important don't discount what others have done already, you know, in terms of activating, like, I don't know any buildings in the downtown that are as activated as Chinatown buildings are on the second and third floors, right? I'm so grateful that we were able to meet in such like a tumultuous time, but I think that it really helped to find people that looked like me in my age group actually doing similar things. Like I think what you talked about, like the diaspora, you know, a lot of folks, their parents came here fleeing, like my parents were fleeing the Vietnam War, they were refugees here. They totally were a part of this model minority myth where it's like, okay, um, I see people like indigenous communities or black folks getting treated poorly. I have to get as close to whiteness as possible, you know, just for self-preservation. And so they bought into the model minority myth. And when it came to things like the Black Lives Matters with um, police brutality, they like, you know, when I talked to my parents, it wasn't that they didn't care. They were just like, oh, it's not my thing to care about. You know, like I'm watching Chinese news. I'm watching Hong Kong news. And I had to explain to them like it would like it doesn't matter that you think that you have the right job and the right you live in the right neighborhood and you drive the right car and you go to the right church like that doesn't matter because racists exist and they are uneducated and their whole school of thought is totally irrational. Like you cannot 
debate somebody into not performing a hate crime on you. Like they've made their decision. And I don't know if you remember, but in Vancouver, there was the Asian woman who was um, brutally attacked by the police officer, like dragged down the hallway. And it was when they saw that video on the news that they were like, oh, they really don't care. Like, it doesn't matter what I look like or what ethnicity I am. There's no hierarchy of like, which one's better. Like, you know, racists are just gonna perform hate crimes and um, against anybody. And that was at the beginning of the pandemic. And since then we've seen even worse atrocities across North America. And I'm starting to see more folks like of our parents' generation starting to speak up about it, which is amazing. Like there's some videos that have been filmed about why it's important. Um, but it, again, it's like teaching a generation of folks who have really just been like taught to keep your head down, do your job, work hard, say yes to everything, um, don't stick out, you know? That's the best way for preservation because when you stick out, that's when you cause trouble. And I think that what we're showing now, like our generation is that it's okay to speak up, it's your right to speak up. You've contributed to this community just as much as anybody else, if not more. And your voice should be heard and it should be respected. Yeah, it's, it's been a really scary, scary year. I know I'm worried for, I'm worried for my mom who lives in a very white suburb. I'm worried for my brother and sister. Um, I feel less, I don't know, I feel less worried for myself, maybe because I'm either at home or in Calgary Chinatown. This like entire year I felt like I've either been in, I've been in two safe spaces. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been astonishing and frustrating and, and so heartbreaking, the loss um, that has happened over the past year. Um, the hatred that so many folks have had to endure. And yeah. I've been really grateful for folks like you uh, who have been organizing things like um, either your flower, your bouquets that are going to, you know, seniors who are isolated, many of those uh, who might be seeing a lot of hatred online. And just to have a, a simple, nice gesture of kindness is is so helpful. The the project that you and Gabe are working on uh, with walks in Chinatown, just showing up and being present in the community. I think that that's one of the most important things that we can do is to to show up and say, we're here, this is our community, we protect one another, we're here for you if you need to walk with someone to the mm -hmm. bus stop, to wait at the bus stop, if you need to walk back to your apartment or to the grocery store. Um, and just show folks that, you know, show the white supremacists that we're, we're not scared, we're here for our community. Yeah. Um, that's been, it's been really incredible to see people across North America um, show up for their communities in that way. Um, and I've been really excited about some of the work that's been happening here in, in Calgary Chinatown led by community members like yourself. Um, I know that there's other groups like um, more and more national scope mm -hmm. who are doing work, at, uh, especially now that we've hit Asian Heritage Month, um, there's the uh, Action Now Chinese Canadians Together uh, yeah. that are having a panel coming up on um, how we combat anti-Asian anti hatred and uh, more conversations about this, not just uh, at one level, at multiple levels, one-on-one, -on -one, at our family dinner tables, yeah. with our colleagues, with our friends, 
with our collaborators, our community partners. This is how we combat hatred. This is how we combat racism, is addressing it, is naming it, saying it out loud Absolutely. again and again and again, and, and saying we won't stand for it. Um, and what you were saying about some of our elders, some of our parents, folks who historically have had their heads down and just tried to do what they thought they needed to do and not make a scene, stay mm -hmm. out of the way, perpetuate that model minority myth. It's really, really inspiring to see folks build up that courage to stand with their community members and, and to, to name racism and white supremacy when they see it um, and, to, and to say that they don't stand for it. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for chatting with me today. Oh, it was so good. I really, I always enjoy getting to sit and just yak around <laughs> with you. It's, it's always a pleasure and it's just a pleasure working with you as well. I'm really grateful that we met. The feeling is mutual. <laughs> so that's it for episode two of Views from Chinatown. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Alice and Sue for their incredible work in the community and we look forward to seeing kind of what's happening next and what happens in the future stay tuned we have episode three coming out very shortly where we talk to me and tanner from paper lantern a kind of cool hidden cocktail bar that opened during the pandemic here in calgary's chinatown stay tuned we have a bunch of people who have made this podcast possible and i just want to take a quick second to thank them now Producer Vicky Van Chow, our host Alice Lam, our guest Su Ying Strang from the New Gallery, camera operator Jeremy Pollock, location sound Brenda Sevilla. Our equipment has been provided by Dreadnought Digital, DCPI Film Services, and Phil Bowen. Our production manager Vicky Van Chow. Post production sound is Rachel Sung. Our music has been provided by Cold Soul Productions. Artwork designed by Visual Shogun. Of course, thank you to Tell Story Hive, the National Screen Institute, and Jessica Gibson, and our mentor, Lisa Pruden. Special thanks to Amido Cafe, Muse Coffee Shop, and Sun's Barbecue for keeping us fed and caffeinated. And I'm your host, Gabriel Yee. This program was produced with the support of TELUS.